Amen. Let's turn in God's word to the Gospel of Mark and chapter 16. Gospel of Mark and chapter 16. Some words which will be well known to us, I'm sure. We've heard them before. Mark chapter 16, reading from verse 1. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had bought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulchre at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulchre? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. Entering into the sepulchre, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted, ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulchre, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Amen. Let's ask the Lord's blessing upon us as we consider his word this evening. Lord, we give thanks that we have the word of God before us. We thank thee, O Lord, for the scope of that word that thou, Lord, hast instructed us and hast taught us and hast admonished us and given to us encouragement in so many different ways and in different places. And so, Lord, we pray that in thy word this evening, as we would consider it simply, that thou hast imprinted upon our hearts that it might bring forth fruit for the glory of thy name, and for the sanctification of our souls. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in this passage we have an event taking place upon the first day of the week. We find in the first verse that the Sabbath was past. And in verse 2 that it was very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, at the rising of the sun, that two women came to Christ's tomb. Here we also are on the first day of the week tonight, called the Lord's Day, which is the Christian Sabbath. And this day upon which we meet together and come to worship and to receive from God's word truth through our hearts and souls and lives. It is a memorial day of, which, of a day of which we read in this chapter, the day that the Lord Jesus rose again from the dead. This day which is the first day of a new world, a day which dawned in hope, a day which dawned in rejoicing. And likewise, we should be rejoicing uh, this evening. We are perhaps here not very early as these uh, two women were, but we are here nonetheless on the first day of the week. May we indeed rejoice and triumph on this day and worship the Lord. And so on this first day of the week, then, we find that Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, come to the sepulchre, worried about how they might move the stone, for it is very great. But then they are amazed that the stone was rolled away already. 
Entering into the sepulchre then, they see a young man upon the right, clothed in a long white robe. And the word there, a long garment, it signifies that the robe that he wore was of special magnificence. It is a word used to describe the robes and garments of noble personages, uh, such as priests and others similar. Luke, in his gospel, when describing this scene, describes it as a shining or dazzling garment. And so here then in this tomb, in this place of death, is a messenger sent from the presence of God. Mold and decay is swallowed up in the light and life of heaven. Death is swallowed up in the victory. And so the messenger speaks. Be not affrighted. Stop being so dumbfounded and astonished. He knows why they have come. They have come to seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. But he is not here. He is not here, they say. He is risen. The tense of those words, he is risen, is in the Greek tense called uh, aorist, which we don't have in the English, but it, it denotes it is an action that has taken place in the past once. Essentially, they say, he's not here. He rose. He rose. Look at the place where he was laid. And we know from the other Gospels that the linen wraps and headcloth that were wound around his face and head were there. But his body is miraculously gone. There is evidence here then. It is very apparent. The body of Christ is gone. His grave clothes are left. For he had no more need of them. And so the Lord Jesus Christ rises from the dead. But then there follows a command. And this is a command because it is in what is called the imperative tense. It is a command. And the man, this young man, this messenger of the Lord, commands the women, go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him as he said unto you. So that verse 7 is the verse that I want to consider and focus upon this evening. There is a lot in those words and all of it is relevant to each of us tonight to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his grace in our lives. And we are, if we have believed on him, his disciples. And there is such graciousness and tenderness in this simple command relayed on behalf of the Savior by this messenger of heaven to his disciples. And so here then in, in this simple verse we see the mercy of the love of Christ. The first thing that we can consider from these words is Christ's faithful precision. Christ's faithful precision. Notice the words at the end of the verse first. As he said unto you. The Lord Jesus had promised the disciples that he would see them again. John 16 and verse 22. And now ye therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again. And your hearts shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. And in Mark 14 verse 27 to 28 is the specific promise which is mentioned here in verse 7 of chapter 16. All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen I will go before you into Galilee. And so there shouldn't be any surprise or astonishment amongst his followers because he had said in advance that he would rise again and that he would go and meet them in Galilee. And so the Lord Jesus is precise in his fulfilling of his promise then. 
Just as he had said, so it would be. And the meeting of Christ with his followers was appointed by Christ himself. The Lord Jesus said, I will go before you into Galilee. He had made the appointment. And the Lord Jesus never forgets his appointments. He will be where he said he would be. Perhaps the disciples had forgotten. Maybe it is even likely. And that the purpose of this command to these two women was to remind them of it. Perhaps they were consumed with grief. Consumed with guilt. But if the disciples had forgotten the word of Christ, Jesus Christ had not forgotten his own words. He is faithful to what he has said. He does not forget by accident, nor does he purposefully go back on his word. He will be where he said he will be, whether or not his followers remember his word or not. The Lord Jesus is not haphazard. He is not unreliable as men are unreliable. He is precise. He is accurate. The disciples had scattered when the Lord Jesus was taken. They had proved themselves to be unfaithful in that hour. But the Lord Jesus remains faithful. As he promised, so will he do it. He is faithful who promised, who also will do it. Christ appoints the meeting. Christ appoints the place. Christ appoints the time. No matter how dismayed, how scattered, how confused, how guilty his followers are, he remains consistent and unchanging in his faithfulness to his word. He will meet them. He has gone before them into Galilee as he said unto you. Christ's faithful precision. Then secondly, we have Christ's earnest invitation. It is interesting to see the earnestness in this invitation by the Lord Jesus for his disciples to meet him in Galilee. And that eagerness to see his disciples is seen in two things. First of all, it's seen in the fact that he ensures that they are reminded of the meeting that he had appointed. He knows all those that are his. He knows their frame. He knows how easily they are bewildered and disconcerted. He knows that despite his words to them, that when he has risen, he would go before them into Galilee, that they would not remember the words. That they would rather sit still in grief and mourn over his death and feel sorry for themselves in a lamentable condition, even though the Lord Jesus Christ had promised them that he would rise. And so the Lord Jesus then takes pains to ensure that they are reminded. The reminder is passed on to them. Go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. He could have fulfilled his word and he could have gone to Galilee before them. and They could have remained where they were, having forgotten all about it. But the Lord desires to meet with them. And so he ensures that his heavenly messenger reminds them of the appointment that he has set. But Christ's eagerness to meet with his disciples is seen also in that the Lord Jesus is there first. He is going before them into Galilee. They were his sheep. He was the shepherd. The shepherd was smitten. The sheep were scattered, as we read earlier. And yet now he has arisen and so he will go again before them. As the shepherd would go before the flock in that part of the world, so the shepherd rising from the dead would go again before his flock. Christ is already at the appointed place. 
when the disciples arrived because he went there before them. And the Lord Jesus desires to meet with them. He enjoys their company. Even before he went to his death, did he not pray to the Father as recorded in John 17? The words, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. Christ is the center. Christ is the host. It is to Christ that his people gather. Christ does not uh, come to them once they are met. He says elsewhere that where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Not there will I also go, or there I will be. There am I. There I am already. He's already there. Christ is more ready for his people than they are for him. The disciples, they sit in doubt and in despair. But Christ has already gone before them to wait for them. He loves his own. He desires to be with them. And what a strange thing that he should be more eager to have fellowship with his disciples than they are to have fellowship with him. Let me see, thirdly, Christ's tender attention. By this I mean to emphasize the graciousness of Christ's attentiveness to his disciples. Remember that they had scattered when he was betrayed. Mark 14 and verse 50 is a stark verse. And they all forsook him and fled. They all forsook him and fled. The words of the messenger here then are interesting. At least part of the sorrow of the disciples at this time was due to their having forsaken him. What they must have conceived as his hour of need. And faithless they would have thought themselves. Full of bravado, delusions of grandeur, until the danger came and then they all fled. What kind of disciple, they must think, What kind of disciple runs when his master is under threat? So here is the tenderness in Christ's words then via this heavenly messenger. Tell his disciples. They were his disciples still. And so the Lord shows his tenderness to them. But there is an even starker example here for the messenger specifically mentions Peter. Tell his disciples and Peter. Why is there a specific mention of Peter here? I believe it is so for the following reasons. First of all, Peter's denial of Christ had a major impact upon him. It had a major impact upon Peter. We read uh, from Matthew 26 earlier for this reason, so that we would have it fresh in our minds. The account of Peter's denial of Christ. Three times it is said to him, You were with him, you were one of his companions. Three times he denies it. After the third denial, the cock crows and verse 75 says that he went out and wept bitterly. The word bitterly means violently. He is racked with grief and remorse. He had said himself, though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. So full of confidence he was. So sure that he would be strong even if all others failed. So solid in his service to Christ. And his ministry on Christ's behalf. And yet it could be said that he failed the hardest. 
Peter would have been full of grief, not only at the fact that his master had died, but that he himself had been utterly faithless. That violent weeping over his failure, his sorrow over his actions, his despair and his grief would have been still gripping his heart even now. So the Lord Jesus ensures that his name specifically should be mentioned. What tender care he takes towards Peter who may himself have thought that he was lost. But then secondly, also because of the nature of Peter's sin. What was it that Peter did specifically? He was accused of being one of Jesus' followers, one of his companions, part of his company. Essentially, he was accused of being a disciple of Christ. And this is the very thing that he denied. Three times they come and say, you are one of his disciples. And he denies, I know not what thou sayest. I don't know what you're talking about. And then again, I do not know the man. And then a third time with curses and swearing, he denies, I know not the man. And then Peter hears the accusation, you are one of his disciples. And his response is, no, I'm not. I'm not one of his disciples. He denies being a follower of Christ. And now surely he is in great despair. And if Christ's messenger had said, tell his disciples, and that was it. Perhaps Peter would have thought, well, or doubted whether that included him. He had just denied being the disciple of Christ. So perhaps his own words are now fulfilled. I wouldn't be surprised if that was what he thought, or perhaps entered into his mind. He's not one of Christ's disciples now. And so Christ, in his tender mercy, ensures that the messenger mentions Peter by name. The Lord Jesus is gentle and kind. The bruised reed he will not break. The smoking flax he will not quench. The Lord Jesus had seen Peter's sorrow over his sin. He had seen Peter's tears as he wept bitterly. He knows the thoughts in Peter's head. How he is tortured by memories of his denial. In John 20, when John and Peter are told that the body of Christ is gone, Peter goes running to the tomb, not stopping, but going quickly in. He pursues Christ still, even with the knowledge of his failure. So the invitation mentions him specifically by name. How kind and how gentle the Lord Jesus is with him. Spurgeon put it this way, he said, Come, Peter, come thou if nobody else should come. Jesus Christ invites thee by name before any other. In this place may be believers who have acted strangely and have even forsaken the Lord. And they are now bemoaning themselves. Go on with your holy sorrow, but come to your Lord. Be not content till you have seen him, till you have laid hold upon him by a fresh grip of faith, until you can say, my beloved is mine and I am his. With godly sorrow for sin then and an earnest desire to still follow the Lord, Peter is mercifully and kindly and tenderly invited to come and to see his saviour once more. So as we close then, let us consider the ways in which these truths must be applied and the, the propositional facts which are presented here and which we need to remember and believe. First of all, let us consider this, 
The Lord Jesus is always where he has said he will be. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. It is we who are in a constant state of flux. We are ever changing, ever drifting this way and that. In one moment we are filled with the zeal of God's service and serve faithfully in the church. Work hard in whatever part of the ministry we are part of, in outreach or children's work or the ministry of prayer and intercession for the saints. And then another we are cold of heart, purposefully ignorant of fellowship with Christ, pursuing the world and the lusts thereof. And yet throughout all of our changes, Christ remains the same. We may forget, we may be neglectful, we may be apathetic, and we may be lazy, but Christ is always where he has said he will be. He is faithful. In this case, he went before them into Galilee. For as Christ is in the place of prayer, for, but for us, Christ is in the place of prayer. Christ is in the place where the word of God is preached. He ministers to us through fellowship and communion with his people and the preaching of the word. He hasn't gone somewhere where we cannot find him. It is not a mystery as to where Christ is for the lost and wandering soul. The Lord Jesus is where he said he would be. He is in the midst of the people that meet in his name. He is at the throne of grace waiting to dispense that grace on those who seek him. Don't ever doubt that he waits still. You may have gone astray. You may be cold of heart. Your heart and mind might be turned to the world and wallowing in the mire of sin for a season. But Christ remains. He stands with his arms wide open still saying, come. What a mercy that is. If Christ were a simple man like me, he would have long ago left off waiting. But he is merciful and he waits still where he said he would be. Then secondly, that the Lord Jesus is eager to meet with his people. Christ is eager to meet with us if we are his disciples. The invitation comes to all those that follow him. Tell his disciples he goes before them into Galilee. There shall you see him. Even as he said. He's already there. The Lord Jesus delights in his people. He waits to welcome us into his fellowship with him. He delights in our presence. His desire and prayer to the Father is that we should be with him where he is. He is pleased when we come to him in prayer. He is pleased when we take time and effort to read his word. He is pleased in our persons if we are his the lord jesus christ is anointed with oil of the oil of gladness above his fellows there is none more joyful than our lord jesus christ and what does he rejoice in he rejoices in his own people even as we have heard already this morning they are his peculiar treasure he rejoices over his people with singing the old testament says they are united to him. It was for you this evening that Christ suffered and died if you believe in him. And yes, he is eager. Yes, he is enthusiastic to meet with you. Go to him and commune with him. And thirdly, let us consider this, that we should be as anxious to meet with Christ as he is to meet with us. 
Christ is anxious to meet with us. He looks forward to it. But do we look forward to it? How strange it is that the Lord Jesus delights in us much more than we delight in him. How incongruous. He is the altogether lovely one. He's the fairest of ten thousand, the lily of the valley. We are dust. And yet he delights in our presence more than we delight in his. It makes no sense. But yet it is true. Let's take the example of the church services and, and the prayer meeting perhaps especially. Uh, and in church generally do we say with the psalmist I was glad when they said unto me let us go into the house of the Lord you delight in being in the place where Jesus has promised his presence where two or three are gathered in my name there I am when you at the last at the prayer meeting what a sorry thing it is at the prayer meeting the place where we meet to commune directly with our Lord Jesus in prayer is the least attended meeting of the church how can we hope for Christ's presence and favor if we won't go and meet with him? Our spiritual condition is affected by our lack of intimacy with our Savior as a church and people. The spiritual condition of this church, its success and failure in the service that we render is tied to our intimacy and communion with the head of the church. Where two or three are gathered in his name, there he already is in the midst. Where are we? I don't mean this as a scolding or as criticism, but as an admonishment for each of us to consider how eager Christ is to meet with his people. But so often we are eager only for the couch, for the place of comfort, television, book, or some other thing that might occupy our time. Should we not consider how much Christ delights to meet with us? Can we not think upon that? And having done that, should we not pray that our desires should be drawn away from the cheap distractions of this world? Should we not pray that our, our desires and our affections and love should be drawn out instead toward Christ and his loveliness and his mercy and his gentleness and his kindness? Surely all the people of Christ can agree that this should be so. Then fourthly, consider also that the Lord Jesus' invitation comes to us in spite of our sins. I say in spite of our sins, but if we are Christ, then Christ has died for our sins already. We still fail, we still fall, we backslide, we fall away, we become cold. Peter is an example of this. A man who denied even being Christ's disciple. And yet the invitation comes to him specifically because he is one of the sheep of the great shepherd. Have you gone astray from him? Are you a sheep wandering and lost and alone? You've grown cold of heart. The invitation comes to you despite that. Are you in mourning? Are you in despair? Has your failure caused you to become trapped as it were? The invitation comes to you specifically. He goes before you. You know where he is. You know where to find him. You know what you must do. Go to him now. How merciful is our saviour. How long suffering he is. How often and how greatly do we sin and turn aside. We like Christian and hopeful of pilgrim's progress. Turning into bypath meadow. Finding ourselves then in doubting castle. Under the captivity of giant despair. And yet you have the key called promise. 
the Lord Jesus invites you to return to him. And just as he called Peter by name, so he calls you. Come now. Let us reason together. For your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Oh, they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. There is a fountain open for sinners, for sin and uncleanness. Let us go to him, that we may be washed afresh in the blood of Christ and cleansed and made fit for his use. But then lastly, let us consider that there must be sorrow for sin before the meeting. When Peter sinned and denied his Lord, he went out and he wept bitterly. He cried violently. He was under such remorse as would have driven him to despair. There was true and genuine sorrow for sin. There was repentance also. He turned from that denial and became a tool in the hand of the Lord Jesus to such an extent that it was by him that the gospel was opened up to the Gentiles. It was Peter who was sent to the Roman centurion Cornelius who first preached the gospel to that Gentile. It was to him that vision came. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. Peter was intrinsic to the service of God by the grace of God. He who had denied Christ later was put to death for the sake of his refusal to disown his Lord. What a change came over him that a little maid could cause him to deny Christ. And yet at the end, even the threat of death could not cause it. He had sorrow for his sin. Do you have sorrow for your sin? You must turn from it. You must trust in Christ. And sometimes we can become so caught up and enmeshed in sin that we must trust Christ in order to turn from it. That he will make things right. He will turn around that which we have made wrong. We are disobedient. We are going astray. Yet he can repair all bridges. Repair all boundaries. Bring us back into the path. And lead us as his sheep. No matter what might be the outcome or how difficult, it's of paramount importance that we turn away from sin, that we weep bitterly over it, and we come to Christ in repentance. Uh, the Lord saw Peter's sorrow and repentance. He saw Peter's zeal and desire still to follow Christ. And later he asks three times, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And three times Peter replies, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And without going into detail, with this interchange, Peter is restored to Christ's side. And so also the question comes to you this evening, and it is a question that we all must consider again and again as part of our sanctification. Christ asks, lovest thou me? Do you love Christ this evening? If that is the case, then make sure to meet with him tonight. You know where he is, he has gone before you. You know how to meet with him. You know how to pray. Make sure to speak with him in prayer right now and have sweet communion with him once more. How can we say that we love him if we do not go to him and treasure his presence? Turn aside from the world. Turn aside from your lusts, from your carnal desires, the distractions of this world and turn to the altogether lovely one who loves his bride, the church, and gave himself for her. He goeth before us. 
Even as he has said, there we shall see him. Let us quickly go and meet with him. And tonight know his refreshing and restoring grace. May God grant it for his glory. Amen. Let's seek the Lord's face in prayer. Lord, we give thanks for thy word. And we give thanks for the tenderness and loving kindness of our Saviour. Oh, how he has loved us. How he has taken us out of a miry pit, out of the clay, and set us upon a rock and established our going. Oh, Lord, we give thanks that he has done this. We give thanks for our Saviour. Oh, may we have such a delight in him that might at least come close to matching his desire and delight in us. Oh, Lord, may we be blessed and sanctified in the considering of thy word this evening and that we might be caused to come unto him and walk alongside that he might be glorified in our lives. Bless us, we ask in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen.